And the more specific you are about the person that is suffering from your inability to take action, it's much easier for you to take action. Hello, everyone, and welcome to No Fat Cats. I'm your host, Wesley Dean. Welcome to episode 45 with Brendan Kumarasamy, who hosts the YouTube show Master Talk. Brendan started off realizing that people needed help with public speaking, and he often realized that people were comparing public speaking and the fear of public speaking to the fear of death, and he realized that people needed help being able to learn how to give more talks, to how to present in front of people, and he had helpful tips for what that could could do. And so as he talks through his story of when other people were eating chicken wings and watching sports teams, he was still eating those same chicken wings in college, but instead watching presentations for business class at how people were pitching their concepts and, and speaking. And that was when he realized that he loved doing it and wanted to be more in the coaching space. And so what he just started doing was deconstructing everything that people were doing right and wrong to the point where he could give other people advice on how to do more public speaking and do a better job of that. And in the process of this episode, as a bonus, he gives you perhaps one of the best explanations for how to develop your niche. As I know it's something that I struggle with, I'm sure you have struggled with, and he, he really presents three easy questions as to what it's like to walk through your niche and how he established that for himself when it comes to public speaking. But besides that, he also is one of those people who has created the content that he wants, but then he's also made it into a YouTube channel, even though he hates editing cameras. Like he, he doesn't actually enjoy the process of being behind and making it work, but he realizes that he has a goal of what he wants to accomplish and that creating that content is gonna help him get there. And that is why, as part of his strategy, he is in it to create a YouTube channel and he is committed to creating content, weekly content for 10 years. And in fact, he is well in that game of writing scripts to be able to do that and almost has like a five-year plan. I mean, I don't think I've had anyone on the show who has a five-year plan for what content they're gonna be putting out. That's the introduction to Brendan. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Brendan. Hey, Brendan, I just wanted to thank you so much for being on the No Fat Cats podcast, where we believe in continually getting better, um, always improving, and continually uh, upping your game. And so thanks so much for just being on the show. My pleasure, Wesley. Thanks for having me on. So I know I, you know, I was impressed when I looked at some of the stuff. You've started uh, Master Talk, and you know part of it has been a, just an amount about giving people tips about being uh providing information to help people master their presentations and master their, um, just, you know, the talk. But I'm just really curious to hear, like, how did you get into that? And what was it about the whole process of, of public speaking that made you decide, I, I want to do this? You know, what, what was that? What's been that journey like for you? Absolutely. So when I was in university, I used to do these things called case competitions. So think of it like professional sports, but for nerds. So while other guys my age, you know, we'd eat chicken wings and watch sports games or play sports. I would still eat those same chicken wings. But instead of watching the college football game, I would be watching how the University of Florida would present their introduction at this business competition. So that was my obsession. So for three years, I presented over 500 times, coached over 75 people on public speaking, and just had a ball. It was like the business Olympics. I had so much fun doing all that stuff. Then when I started working in corporate, what ended up happening 
was I asked myself the following question, which was, how do I use my time and expertise to add value to other people? And that's when the idea for the YouTube channel started. And trust me, I never thought of ever being a YouTuber. I think it was more just about I noticed a lot of the content wasn't as good as it should be. And I saw a need where a lot of people, well, needed some help with their communication skills so they could share their ideas that matter. Whether it's a cupcake recipe, you know, some money that they want to raise for charity or something much bigger, like being the CEO of a company, I wanted to be there for every change maker. So I made videos in my basement and here we are today. No, that, that is interesting. And I love how you pointed out that, yeah, you, while other people were watching sports, you were, you know, still eating chicken wings, but doing the, the business competitions. And I know one of the things, that, especially that's exciting about being alive in our era is that, you know, as, as long as you just plug away and get good at something specific, eventually you carve out a niche for that area and you can add value to people. And, and people are, are always constantly looking for, for people to connect with. And, uh, and learn from, because everyone's trying to, well, most everyone should be trying to get better. I um, guess there are people who just kind of sit back and um, kind of try to coast. But for those that we really want to be working with, they're actively trying to get better. But, but what were some of those things early on that you noticed were issues when it came to people public speaking? Like what were those, the hiccups, what were the big problems that you were seeing that people just weren't addressing? Yeah, absolutely. I would say the biggest one is most people don't know how to practice public speaking. And it shocks me that we don't actually talk about it. So let's talk about it now. So one of the things about public speaking is let's think about a new skill. Let's say you want to learn how to play piano or play basketball better or any skill that you'd like. But let's focus in on piano. Sure, you could practice 50 songs and hope for the best or better. You play one song 50 times. And then you can show off to your friends and say, hey, look at me. I can play piano. And that gives you the confidence to say, well, I can only play one song, but I can play second one or third one or fourth one. And we slowly grow in confidence over time. But that same analogy that literally works for any skill, whether it's baking, we bake the same thing over again, or basketball, we throw the same ball in the net. We don't apply that analogy to public speaking. It's Wednesday, your boss, your client, your colleague, your teacher comes up to you and says, Wesley, I need you to give us a presentation for Friday. And you go, well, nobody told me about this. So you get to work, you put some slides together, and then it's Friday. You finally get to present it. And then after all of the hard work that you put into this presentation, you crumble it and you throw it in the garbage and you move on to the next presentation. Whereas the best speakers in the world present one or two presentations, but they do it hundreds of times. That is a really interesting idea. And I guess it kind of makes sense where some of the speakers that are in some ways many, you know, renowned or well-known, they just get really good at delivering kind of the same speech over and over again and just kind of keep beating the drum, you know, the same drum over and over, but it leads to that clarity and people recognize them for being experts in that particular field. Exactly. This is what we call the repeatable presentation. A good example is Tony Robbins. Yeah, sure. He changes his things up. He's an amazing speaker, but he's always talking about the same thing over and over and over again. But since he's presenting to new audiences, he has heard it a thousand times, but they're hearing it for the first time. That's why it's so magical. Because once you've done it 300 times, your execution is pretty much flawless. Or Gary V, you know, he always comes up on stage and goes, you know, I'm from the Soviet Union and blah, blah, blah. And you got any questions? It's always the same thing, right? That's why it's so powerful. Because he, he, he just mastered the ability to communicate more or less the same things 
um, but just to different audience and maybe repurposes the sound bites or, or that sort of thing. Absolutely. No. And so, but where did you first realize that this was the issue? Was there like an aha moment or where did you realize that people weren't aware of this? Yeah, exactly. So, so what happened with me was a lot of people when, when I was, you know, getting that job and consulting and going after the big corporates, a lot of the students I was coaching in university kept asking me the same question that I never had an answer to, frankly, which was, how did you learn how to speak? You know, I was good at public speaking. Was like, I worked really hard at it, but I never had like a mentor or like watched videos or joined Toastmasters, though I love Toastmasters for the record. But like the idea is just, I never, I just, you know, practiced a lot, a lot more than anyone else my age. And I just got really good, but I never understood the process behind it. So those types of ideas that I'm sharing with you right now, that was me reverse engineering a lot of the stuff that I was thinking about. So I wasn't asking myself, this is the book that I used to master public speaking, but rather, how did I get there? What's the mistake that people are making? And what YouTube allows you to do when you're, con- you're creating content is it forces you to publish every week. So I had to share something about public speaking every week. But so gradually over time, I would start to connect the dots. I'll give you another example of something I just invented a month ago. So I was coaching a client and she was having a lot of trouble structuring her speech. And I kept going over the process again, but she, had, she just had a lot of trouble. So I kind of just said, what's an easy way to kind of explain this? And then I thought about puzzles and I just asked her, oh, well, when you're working on a thousand piece jigsaw puzzle, which pieces do you start with? The edge. <laughs> the edges, right? But here's the thing. And I was coaching that on the spot. I was just inventing that. And I just said, well, public speaking works in the same way because when you speak, what most people make the mistake of doing is they go straight for the middle pieces. They'll get, they shove a bunch of content and because they have two days to prepare and they present. So it goes blah, 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 blah. And at the end they go, oh, well, that's my last slide, so I'm done. Whereas the best speakers in the world think intentionally about how they start and how they end and then figure out the middle pieces later. And I was talking to her about this. I was like, oh, that's pretty smart. I should probably like write this down somewhere. So yeah, just connect the dots as I talk to people. And so it really has just been the process of, of iterating, of creating content. And then I think you're right. When you set a schedule, it just forces yourself to continually commit and you learn along the way, regardless of whether or not you, you have a big intentional plan, but you're just, you're getting better and practicing routinely and practicing on a regular basis. Exactly. And an easy way to help people think about this is the individuals who come up with something new, right? New types of value, new types of knowledge. They all have one thing in common is that they're controversial. They don't just say, oh, Dale Carnegie did that. So it's probably right. No, no, no. The better question is what's wrong in Dale's logic? What did he get wrong? All the people that you admire, one exercise you can do is don't just say, I love them so much. They're so great. But rather just say, what's, what's wrong with their thinking here? What do I not like about them? What do I not like about their personality? And that's not something we naturally do as humans. Because as humans, we want to survive. And the best way to survive is to cooperate, agree with whatever Wesley's saying, because I want to be his friend. Because if I disagree with them, Wesley's going to think that I don't belong in his group, right? So we're taught to always agree with one another when the real juice, the real power comes from disagreeing. I'll give another easy example. So many speech coaches compare public speaking to death. Did you know that death and public speaking are like, you know, 
somehow correlated with each other. But I'm thinking here from first principles, and I'm just saying, wait a second. You might have a PhD in communication, but let's bring this back. If your goal is to inspire people to speak, why in the world are you comparing it to death? How does that make any sense? That's the type of stuff I'm talking about. No, I, I think I have heard that where uh, I forget whether it's people are afraid of dying and public speaking, you know, and they like compare them for, for some reason in terms of what their worst fears are. <laughs> that is kind of funny, though. And that's helping who? You know, that's what I mean? helping like, who? Yeah. It's just. But it, but it is really a process. I think I like the point about if you're looking, because I think everyone is looking to create content, but you're not necessarily going to get any attraction by simply saying, hey, this person does this, who everyone well knows. I agree with them. It's like, okay, yeah, well, you and three other million people. Um, but I, I like that point is that the real, real value is when you can say, hey, this person says this. I agree with this, but I do not agree with this for X reason, X reason, X reason. So that's kind of what you're saying is a more powerful approach. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. You always want to think back to, for the ideas you want to share with the world, what is the best way that serves that person? And if in my case, because I know my specific niche really well, if my audience is nervous, whether they're a 10-year-old girl named Rebecca or a 55-year-old executive, or somebody who's afraid of public speaking, the last thing I want to do is to use comparisons that are not going to serve them, like comparing it to death or using medical terms like glassophobia which is the fear of public speech as if it's some sort of disease, something ridiculous, right? Where instead talk about my own vulnerabilities. Like when I was five years old, Wesley, I got put into a French school because I'm from Montreal, but I didn't speak a word of French. So not only was I uncomfortable with presentations, I had to present in a language I didn't even know. So if I could present, I'm sure anyone else can as well. And so I am really curious. You mentioned that you said you knew what your niche was. So what exactly, how, did, how, what was that process of coming up with it? And what is it? Cause I know that is, uh, it, it takes people a lot of work to get to that spot. Yeah. You're definitely on the, on the money with the question. And the answer is very simple. I'll simplify this so you can skip 50 other episodes. Just focus on th these two questions. First question is what are you most passionate about is a stupid question. Okay. It's vague. It doesn't help people. And if it did, everyone would have a passion. So that's me being controversial, right? So instead, let's throw that in the garbage and work on this question, which is, what does the world need you to do most right now and why? I had 10 ideas when I started YouTube and all that stuff. You know, being a career coach, uh, being a professional gamer and streaming on Twitch, uh, you know, doing master talk, sharing life advice, being a motivational speaker. But out of all of those things, master talk was the one thing that the world needed me to do most because that's what added the most value to people. Or else I wouldn't have started a YouTube channel because I just want to add value. And if I can't add value through YouTube, I'm not going to start a YouTube channel, right? So that's one thing. The other part of it was getting clear on the person you want to help and why. And that question that you want to ask yourself is the following. Every day that you decide not to take action, who suffers the most and why? And the more specific you are about the person that is suffering from your inability to take action, it's much easier for you to take action. Hence why I've created content years in advance because I'm so motivated for this thing. Why? Simple. For me, the person I'm helping is a 16-year-old girl named Julia. She's super talented, ridiculously smart, wants to make an impact in the world, but she's afraid of public speaking. 
and wants to raise a bit of money for charity. So what does she do? Well, she's 16, so she's probably going to go on YouTube because she can't afford like a professional speech coach. She types public speaking tips, and what does she find? She finds a bunch of old dudes who are like 70 years old who are teaching communication. So even if some of the tips are okay, she doesn't relate to those people. So she closes the laptop, and her belief system that she will become a great speaker will never come to fruition for the rest of her life if I do not make videos. So for most people, option A is not do the thing, right? You know, not do the the, the vision, not do the passion. And the consequence of that is you watch Netflix. And option B for them is you do the thing, eh, it's not very motivating, eh, it's, I mean, it's a lot of work. I just like do, you know. Go back to option A. Netflix is great. But for someone like me who's very clear, this is my options. Option A is not do anything and hurt millions of people around the world. Not just Julia, because Julia is just a generalization for every other 16-year-old out there. Cambodia, you know, Laos, everyone who can't afford me. But not just the millions today, the millions if potentially billions of people after me. Because communication is not something that will be commoditized. And option B is doing something about it. So for me, it's a huge ultimatum. It changes from, you know, I could watch Netflix to every day, don't make a video. Julia slapping me in the face and saying, what are you doing? I need you. Right. So I think by doing that, and then just to make it three, the third thing I'd encourage people to do is to write your own funeral speech. If you do all three of these things, you'll find your niche pretty quickly. <laughs> Boom. Now I, I've listened to a, a number of things on, you know, niche and finding it, but uh, uh, that actually may be one of the most clear and concise, you know, three-step, um, you know, processes for, for finding it. And um, yeah, I think that's, that's great. I don't know if that's one of your videos on uh, master talk, but um, I mean, pe- <laughs> people will pay money for, um, for courses that, that help them find their niche. So um, I actually really like that. So I'm, I'm going to, that will make it into um, some of the highlight videos or, or something like that. that. That was great. Appreciate it. And, and so then uh, I am curious, what was, what is your workflow? Did you have any kind of video background and what has been your workflow of deciding to do create video content? Because I mean, the one thing, the great thing I love is that, especially with COVID is that content has been significantly more democratized because um, quality expectations have gone down during this time. They already were going down because as DSLRs became more uh, apparent, like people stopped caring about whether your stuff looked good and just what was the actual content. So I'm curious, what has been your workflow like? Yeah, absolutely. And I think for any project that you take on, it starts with self-awareness. But let me add more details to it because I don't want to just leave that at a high level. What does self-awareness mean? My definition of self-awareness is understanding every gap in your logic. That means everything that you do wrong bullet list. If you only have 10 things on that list, you are not self-aware. You need at least 50, 60, 100 things that you're bad at to truly be self-aware. So for me, it was simple. I knew I wanted to start a YouTube channel. It made sense for the medium and the thing that I was trying to coach. But I also knew that I didn't want to edit videos. In fact, I didn't want to spend a second looking at that stuff. I hated the filming process. Like the first three months of Master Talk was a nightmare. I was moving this phone and I was like, why do people enjoy doing this? I was like, this is crazy. But I loved making the content, you know, writing the scripts and bringing them to life and adding personality. 
getting better on camera, it like filled up my ego and stuff. But every but like the the lights that I have now, this thing that I bought a month ago, I don't know this stuff. So I knew from the beginning I didn't want to edit any videos. So for the first year of Master Talk, I actually one shot all my videos. So five minutes into a 10 minute video, if I messed up, start back at the beginning and do it again and until I got it. But the benefit of that is I is I got years worth of camera experience in a single year. So I presented over like 500 times on camera or something. But after I got really good, I was able to transfer all of that workload to my best friend. And I gave him 25% of my salary that I make at IBM. And I just gave it to him and I just said, take care of everything. So with workflow, what I did is A, I outlined everything that I was bad at, filled in the gaps with somebody else, whether it's through time, resources, or money, whether it's like a trade-off, depending on how bad I wanted it, right? Because I'm giving up a lot of my own personal capital to make this happen. And then the third thing is creating a process that makes sense for YouTube, which means creating a 10-year strategy. Everyone who asks me advice on YouTube, my advice is simple. If you don't want to do this for 10 years, don't bother doing it at all. Because YouTube is a really hard platform to be successful in. Production is much harder than on a podcast, but it's a lot more rewarding as well because it's much easier to develop a fan base if you create something meaningful. So in that third part of it, I asked myself how many times did I wanted to post. I just wanted to post once a week, super high quality, because nobody in my industry was even posting once a week. And, and so, one week is kind of like the minimum in order to really be have a successful YouTube channel. But you're right, you do have to have a long term uh, strategy. I had I hadn't heard ten years, but I had I had heard at least two years. So it's impressive that you're in it for at least ten years. Yeah, yeah. And anyone who says two years, I don't think they're in it for the long run. Per, to be honest, I think it's ten. So if you just if let's break that down, so fifty two weeks. 10 years, 520 scripts. If you make 520 videos and you write them out, you have content for the next decade and then you win if you just post once a week because that way you can spend 99% of your time doing this, promoting on shows, right? And I do like 25 podcasts a week, right around, right? I'm trying to do like 100 a week. Like I'm just like pushing it out. So now that we know the workflow, how can I optimize for the next 10 years? Sure, I could do 10 scripts in a weekend, and I've tried that, and it's exhausting, (laughs) huge mental burden. Or I can do one script every day. I just don't miss a day. Sometimes I miss a day, like I missed yesterday. But in the last nine days, I wrote eight scripts. Like today, I already wrote today's script before I got on this call. So what happens now, because of the nature of my content, which is purely educational, like this show is... If I just do that for a year, I have content for the next seven years. But since I'm only posting once a week, right, I have the next content for the next six years, right? So that gives me a huge lead. So that's kind of how I think about workflow. Okay. And, and then at what point will we actually sit down and record that content for the already scripted out? Yeah. So what I do with uh, my video guy, Danny, is we we sit down. So in, in pre-global situation mode, before COVID hit, what we used to do is we kept it really simple because I would burn out really quickly on video. So we do five videos in a batch, right? Every month. So we would always gain a week lead and then we'd get lunch after. It would be like a fun experience. But obviously after COVID hit and I stopped getting bus passes, right? And I, and I stayed at home mostly. Last time I filmed, we did 20 videos in a day. So it was very mentally exhausting. It was really difficult for me. But, you know, I got it done. So we didn't have to meet that well. So now, in, so I already filmed 2020. So what I'm doing for 2021 is in like two months, I'm going to meet Danny for a day and we're going to do 26 videos. 
Hopefully it doesn't kill me. But the idea was we meet two days, 26 videos, and that's the, the video content for the year. Okay, but I really and I really like how you intentionally said, "Hey, we're gonna go out to eat afterwards," because you're then tying uh, a work experience to a positive experience that is very rewarding. And so you start to associate, um, you know, doing something, getting it done, with a positive experience that is like self reinforcing. So that's a that's a great tip in terms of just execution there. You got it. It's just a bit sad now since restaurants aren't open, so it's not the same thing. But you get it, you know. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I, I know. On my personal life, uh, aside from work, uh, you know, just trying to get in the habit of you know donating stuff, and after a while, you just accumulate stuff that you don't need. Um, and, and so we noticed that there's a spot that takes donations, like you know, clothing stuff that you just don't need, but still in good use. But it's also close to a Krispy Kreme donut shop, and so we have our donate and donuts run, where it was like, hey, if we get this stuff out of the house and do a drop. They're in the same location, so we'll treat ourselves to, to, to Krispy Kreme donuts afterwards. And it became this, all of a sudden, it's a lot more fun to go get stuff out of the house, clean, keep the clutter down, you know, Marie Kondo style, uh, but also then uh, reward ourselves afterwards. And so it's, it's now a lot more fun to do that stuff because there's a positive experience afterwards. Uh, that's something I learned from you. I didn't even know I was doing that. I'll take yeah, that as a note. Yeah, so it's just even like, you know, if you look at trying to do something that you just don't like to do, anytime you can reward yourself even with something very small afterwards you can start to associate that so in this case you know you go out for lunch after recording with your friend you might not look forward to maybe the actual filming because you know it's like necessary you have to get it done but because you're also treating yourself you know you have something fun to look forward to afterwards grabbing that food or, or whatever it is with your friend mm -hmm. and so it kind of gives you a mental uh you know incentive to get it get through everything because there's a, a, a you know, gold at the end of the rainbow or whatever. <laughs> no, that's really smart, actually, Wesley. I think what I'm going to do after, as a note for myself is I'm going to go through all my, my to-dos and I'm going to tie like a positive reinforcement to each one. I think that's really smart. Thanks for adding that. No, oh, yeah. Well, it seemed like you were, I guess, naturally just doing those things well. <laughs> Not really, actually. I think Not I just really? got lucky. <laughs> oh, okay. Maybe, maybe it was just was one of those things. It was like, hey, let's go out to eat. And then it just led to, um, you know, things working out. Yeah. But but I, but I do love how you have created that that content. And then going into, I can't help diving into video strategy a little bit. With that being you know background video video strategy. So you do YouTube, and then have you found yourself just you know do you repurpose some of the same content for like LinkedIn or what has been your strategy for using things across platforms, or have you just decided, hey, I'm going to hunker down on YouTube? Good point. So. Everyone's going to say different things and there's no right answer to be honest. Some people are going to be like, like Gary Vee, you got to post five times a day on Instagram. You got to post 20 times a day on LinkedIn. Did you see the organic growth on this thing? Right. So everyone's going to have different takes. Here's one. At the end of the day, what matters is what outcome you're trying to achieve and who has already achieved that outcome. So for me, I knew that at the end of the day, sure, Instagram posts are great. Sure, Twitter is awesome. LinkedIn is great too. Lots of great professionals would love public speaking. But at the end of the day, what's the outcome I'm trying to get? And for me, it's creating a body of knowledge that will last forever. And fortunately for us, there's only three mediums that you can achieve that type of success where the content just lasts forever. One is blogs, right? Like Seth Godin's blog. You can go back into past archives and check it out really easily. Even if it's not super easy, but you know, it's not the hardest thing in the world. Podcasting, right? Like this, long form, evergreen. The third one's YouTube. Everything else is not evergreen. Twitter is like very like you chat and you're done, it's done. You know, maybe you might have a compilation of tweets, but it's like you can't learn anything from a sentence, right? Done. 
Instagram, 60 second video. Sure, there's IGTV, but it's not very evergreen. The experience isn't that great. And more importantly for Instagram, you need an Instagram account to access Instagram versus YouTube. You don't need a YouTube account. You just send the link. Super easy, frictionless experience. LinkedIn, same thing. LinkedIn is similar to Facebook. Sure, you can post a lot. You'll get a lot of organic reach. But nobody has any way of going through all of your archives unless you wrote articles for LinkedIn. So just by that going through, and obviously TikTok, let's not even talk about the 15 seconds. What am I supposed to talk about? Yeah, it's like, who, who knows even if TikTok's going to be allowed in the US at least, <laughs> you know? There you like... go. Yeah, I mean, with India banned, which surprised me a lot, but it was interesting. But I think the idea is simple. So at the end of the day, what's my 10-year goal? My 10-year goal is focusing blogs, podcasts, on, and YouTube. But the issue with blogs is less people are reading them. And I agree. I don't read really much blogs. And even Seth has reduced. But for those who don't know, Seth Godin has like a top 10 blog in the world. You literally yeah. type the word Seth in Google, and his first search result is the, his blog. It's crazy. But the idea is simple. Even with someone like Seth, he's transitioned a lot to audiobooks and shorter blog posts. And I get that. It's not just about attention span, people. It's just how are you investing your time? It's just easier to do audio now because you can like do the dishes and learn. So it's just easier to optimize. So that leaves podcasts and YouTube. But the issue with podcasts is that they're not optimized for search. So podcasts are great to like grow following because you own the medium. So if you have a thousand people listen to you, Wesley, and let's say you have a video coaching experience, 50 people will probably be interested because not many people will want to listen to 40-minute conversation like this one, except through podcasts. So it's great to get clients. But to grow to millions of people listening, very challenging to do in a podcast. What you want to do is, is you yeah. want to use your other social media, like Jay Shetty has done very well, millions of viral videos. And now he is the number one podcast in the world. Not because his podcast is the best in the world, but because his following, he was able to bring to the podcast. So that's my strategy is focus on YouTube because YouTube brings me followers without me having to do anything because of SEO optimization on the platform. And then after I pass like 100K and I have a brand name, then I'm going to start my own podcast. No, I think that makes a lot of sense in terms of trying. Because I was actually, re you know, recently talking with someone who with podcasting, and he said, "No, I was thinking about doing a podcast, but then I talked to a, a mentor advisor, and he said, why 'Why don't you just try to be on everyone else's podcast uh, as opposed to doing your own?' And then, yeah, and like in your case, and like it actually, in some ways, is a, a smart um, option because I was recently talking to someone who's who's a mentor and coach, and I said, "Hey, what did you find moves the needle for your podcast?" Is it like producing all the content? And he was like, no, ironically, it's actually being on other people's podcast that actually was more moves the needle for his podcast, which I thought was a really interesting concept. So in some ways, I think you're uh, actually probably onto something with saying, hey, I'm not going to produce my own podcast. I'm just going to be on everyone else's and watch that move the needle as well. Right. But since we're talking about media strategy specifically, there's one thing I want to emphasize. Because I'm sure people are listening like, you know, a lot of people want the silver bullet. They go, oh, well, Brendan's been on 25 shows a week. Let's do that. But let's talk a little bit about why 25 podcasters want to have to be on the show. That's more important. Because all you're doing is just selling something. You have nothing to offer people when you pitch on shows. Well, obviously, people won't have you on, and that will be effective strategy. So my advice for people who want to go on more shows is to start a YouTube channel. Why? Because it's easier for you to pitch on shows. Because I don't need to sell people on me. I just send the video, and they'll know immediately if it's a fit. Because people can open the video and go, oh, this sucks. Like This is not related to what I'm doing. Or they're going to open the video and go, why is this guy pitching me? Right. So either or you'll know immediately. And that's why I get on to a lot of shows. 
So you want to create a very, very high quality piece of content and not sell anything. And that's how you create a following and an audience that actually matters. No, that, that is a great tip from, from that. Cause I think that is the one thing about video is that when you create that content that shows, all right, does this person communicate well? Do they, how do they deliver? How do they present? Uh, it just makes it a lot easier and instills confidence when people can check out the stuff. It's kind of like a, uh, you know, profile where it's like, all right, take a look. What do you think? And then boom, well, he's been doing it already for, for a while. Um, you know, it has already has a number of videos set up. It has done stuff. Then it makes it look a little more reliable and legit versus just, well, Hey, he has like two videos posted. Um, I I'm sure there's how many people who have said, Hey, I'm going to post weekly videos and they get to episode three or four. And then, it, then it's like crickets. Exactly. Completely agree, man. No, well, that is so helpful. And so going back, I know what, do you have a favorite video that you've done so far or what has been one of your, your top performing videos on YouTube? And what were those tips for, for public speaking that you were providing to give people Yeah, samples? absolutely. And I think building on that, one interesting discussion we can have around videos and ideas and how to optimize is by answering the by understanding what value actually means. Because I feel a lot of people who don't really understand that. They go, you got to add value. but It is a buzzword. Yeah, you, but people are like, what does that even mean? So let me break this down for people. The definition of value is as follows. Tell me something I don't already know. If you tell me something, something I know, it's not very valuable unless you package it a bit differently. So a good example is Lewis Howes' School of Greatness. So Lewis is a huge podcaster, top 100 in the world. And sure, he doesn't always contribute new ideas, but the way that he navigates conversation with his guests is fairly unique. You know, Grant Cardone has like cried on his show like three times, like crazy stuff. So it's the way that he is able to facilitate conversation that makes his edge. But at the end of the day, it's a podcast with the same guest he was on every other show. He just morphs it really well. But going to something more interesting, which is creating new content, tell me something I don't already know. So whenever you're thinking about your content strategy, going on people's podcasts, thinking about your videos, you always want to ask yourself, what can I tell Wesley? the person who's given me the privilege today to speak to his audience, something that even he doesn't know, right? That's how you add value and get referred to other places, have better ideas for your videos and really create the empire that you're meant to create. I mean, sure, Wesley has had other guests on his show, but I doubt there hasn't been a single guest who had said, oh yeah, screw the passion question. Just go into like, who suffers and write your own funeral speech. And you're sitting there like, what the hell is going on? Right? So it's adding new value because nobody else says that. Right? So bringing this back into video content, the videos that have done the most, that done the best, are the people, are the videos that have served the audience in the most possible way. So the number one is the daily public speaking exercises, where it's like a five-minute video where I outline three exercises that no other speech coach has talked about on the internet. So we can go through them if you want. So one of them is the random word exercise that I can demonstrate. Just give me a random word, Wes. Uh, soup. Soup. I like that. You gave me. You, you made it easy for me. So I have to use soup and create an introduction out of thin air. So here I go. There are so many options for lunch today. Salads, sandwiches, maybe some Indian food, maybe some Chinese food. And there's such a plethora of options available in our society. But there's one food that I always go back to especially on a cold winter day when the snow is falling out of the sky and you're thinking, how can I warm up my life? Soup. 
Soup isn't just a liquid, it's a moment. It's a moment you share alone when things get tough, but it's also a moment that you share together where everyone is enjoying that classic chicken soup with a nice salad on the side. So today I'm going to talk about the history of soup and how you can get the best experience at a simple cup. So I just invented out of thin air, right? This is what we call. Nice. And, and for those that we did not cue him at all, um, that was literally how much time you had to, uh, to plan soup. <laughs> yeah, it was like two seconds. But anyways, the idea is, but obviously one thing I want to say is don't compare yourself to me. I literally do this like for a living, like yeah. <laughs> <random> <laughs> order. but the other thing is this is a super easy exercise you can implement because you do five words, five minutes every day. You just do light bulb, laundry, wife who's arguing with me, you know, camera. And then you go through these things. And after a couple of weeks, you'll be pretty good. And then your mentality will shift because you'll go from, well, I mean, if I can present spaghetti, I'm sure I can present the topic I actually know something about. No, that that is a, a great tip. Uh, I love it. I think I'm going to have to start practicing that myself uh, on the way whenever I'm biking or just uh, sounds like a good good exercise to, to do absolutely or if you're just scared like in your case with biking like outside you don't want to talk out loud you could just think in your head like you know if the word was tree what would i talk about oh you know trees a plant that's kind of how you start and then as you build you're like what kind of stories relate to trees oh sitting next to a tree and then the apple falling on your head and then you get you get creative and it's fun. Just get creative and, and, and learn how to tee something up because obviously the most important part of any speech is the intro. Now you bring people in. Absolutely. No, going back. No, that, well, that is great. So to kind of, as we're wrapping things up, you know, where, obviously where's the best place for, for people to find your YouTube channel that we've been talking about? Yeah, absolutely. So for, for those who are just interested in chatting, feel free to just send me a message on Instagram. I'm at master your talk. Not famous or anything, so don't be shy to send me a question, concern, complaint, insult. I'm always happy for anything. And if you want to check out my YouTube videos, it's Master Talk in one word. Master Talk. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much, Brendan, for being on the, the show and love those tips. I know you, besides uh, having tips related to public speaking, just a lot of great tips regarding to finding your your, your niche niche or however you say it do you have a preference niche or niche i don't uh, know to be honest okay yeah i know <laughs> well thanks so much i'll have those links in the show notes thanks so much for being on the show brendan of course my pleasure wesley thanks for having me on and that wraps up another episode loved his tips for public speaking of just practice and instead of trying to give a thousand talks uh, or just a whole bunch of different talks what if we focused on presenting one topic well multiple times but also just loved his practical tips for how to you know take a random word and just run with it loved his example of soup where i just you know spit out a word the first word that came to mind and uh he just created an intro that was really interesting and engaging because he's been practicing it also just loved his takeaways with his strategy for his YouTube channel, why he wanted to create content and his ability to do so. And how he even has he mentioned, like he has a day job that he's doing, but he just realized that this is important enough to the point where he was willing to commit like 25% of his salary to paying someone else to get stuff done. And that was his commitment to doing things because your time is worth something. And you're either going to be spending your own time or your own money creating stuff. But when you have a goal and you know why you're doing what you do, it's a lot easier to spend time doing something because you know it's going to help you accomplish what you want to do and where you want to be at. And then that was his goal was reaching, I think, 100,000 followers on on subscribers on youtube 
to be able to get to the spot where he is known for someone who is good at public speaking and giving tips, and he's just going to be at it for the long haul, which I think is the attitude to take with uh, so many people just willing to chase things here and there, but not being able to commit to it for over a period of time. And I think that's where real success happens is when you can commit to something and stick with it over time. Well, that wraps up another episode of No Fat Cats with an interview with Brendan, who is very much willing to continually learning, getting better, and constantly improving his ability to set goals and execute consistently. That wraps up another episode. Have a great one.